effortlessly. Effort. Effortlessly. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the CP to the Second Degree Podcast. Your home for everything in the neurosphere, from the silver screen to the small screen and everything in between. I am one of your hosts, Clayton Presson. I'm joined as always and forever by my winter brolger, Corbin Presson. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm fine. I woke up this morning, yeah. and during the midst of brushing my teeth and trying to pee at the same time, I dropped something. And at this point, I don't remember what I dropped, because it happened at four in the morning. And I bent over too fast, and I pulled a muscle in my neck. And I have oh been... Oh my goodness gracious. I've been Michael Keaton Batman all day at work today. So not but moving the old neck. I've been in throbbing pain all day. Turning real quick with your entire upper body. That's correct. Who's behind me? But the saddest part was I couldn't dance at work today, or laugh, because it hurt. Oh, well, that's just terrible. I know. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I actually got a uh, phone call this morning oh, ring, ring. from the lady at the school district office. Oh. And she was like, hi, I have you down to sub for this class today. Uh, give me a call back. To which I promptly ran to my list that she gave me, that right. she wrote me. Right. And gave to me. And there was nothing for today on there. So I was like, you cray cray. Sure. And then Abby texted me, because I guess the lady was real wanting to get a hold of me. Yeah. And was like, hey, I had him down. And Abby was like, no, I don't think he has that on his thing. So I called her back, and the lady was like, don't worry about it. I got it taken care of. This happens all the time. Why? Because you're a careless <laughs> buffoon. Happens all the time. <laughs> so anyways, so my morning was briefly stressful because I thought I accidentally had skipped out on 7 o'clock, but I didn't. It's not your fault, though. I know. She's an idiot. Well. I mean, she's stupid. Her job is the schedule, and she came and... <laughs> She can't even flip and give out a schedule, so right? What, to the point where it happens all the time. <laughs> so what you're saying is... Fired. The fact that she's the sub-coordinator, mm. and when apologizing to me said it happens all the time, you conclude that she's inept at her position? Oh, she is most definitely incompetent. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you have one... She literally has one job to do. She can't even do it. Well, I think she has more than one job to do because she actually answers the main phone at the office. Busy body. So <laughs> her job at least entails that as well. Jeez. At no, least. No wonder. <laughs> all those it happens all the time. All she's those so, phone she's, calls? She's so distracted. All those phone calls. Let me tell you about the call that changed my destiny. Anyways. Anyways. Interesting. It rained today. Trip, trip. It's 
kind of muggy too. I man, I hate muggy weather. It makes me feel so gross. I hate it. It makes me cranky. Makes me fussy. Mm-hmm. A hot and sweaty Corbin is a very fussy Corbin, and that's a Corbin that no one should have to deal with. You know, it's worse than that. Hmm. Being that way, and then going down to a festival or a carnival where there's just like hundreds of people like right next to you i thought you were gonna say what's worse than that is having that weather outside but then having a wife who uh plays with her fire pit well uh, and pokes well, the fire luckily figuratively and luckily she physically. doesn't make a fire in the spring <laughs> or i would be in trouble because when she makes a fire in the winter i go outside to and be it. normal <laughs> <laughs> Because it's so hot in this house. So, Clayton. So, Corbin. We have a topic of the show today. We and do. it has to do with something that, that happened to us over this weekend. Would you dare say that it was maybe the highlight of your weekend? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Because it was the highlight of my life. And I got married in November. dang that's how much i like this movie civil war for those of you who are patiently waiting for us to clarify what we're talking about captain america civil war came out this weekend and it was awesome it was this week we give you our thoughts and general review of captain america civil war we'll give you all the data first as usual and then dive into our spoiler full oh man review of the movie but we'll give you a warning before we get into that and i don't think we're ever gonna really do a review that is not spoiler full right because we're doing like we're not we don't have like a news app or anything right where we're like publishing what we're writing and like our thoughts and feelings on things so we're doing one podcast a week we don't have we don't got time we don't got time to be doing a spoiler-free review and then getting down and dirty with it true. later on. That's we true. gotta do it and move on. If you happen to miss last week, we covered the possible Star Wars Episode Eight plot leak and how, if true, it will ruin Star Wars forever. Forever. If you missed that or any of our past episodes, or if this is your first episode and you want to check out our backlog... Be sure to hop over to Podbean or iTunes and check them all out. They're all available. Remember, all of our episodes come at you free every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. So if you like what you hear, please hit the follow button on Podbean or the subscribe button on iTunes to stay caught up on all of our episodes. Also, we would greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. We want to know what you think, what you like, and what you don't like. As we've said before, we want to continue to grow. And bring you the best possible podcast we can. And your reviews will help us do that. And we see you listening. And I know that you have thoughts. What so let thoughts? us know what they are. What are your thoughts? Now. Uh-oh. Let's open up the interwebs. <laughs> grab all the grains of salt. <sighs> in news and rumors. <laughs> so news and rumors today is definitely going to be a little marble heavy. But hey, that is kind of to be expected because one of their bigger event films just launched this weekend with Captain America Civil War. Right. So I thought, what better way to start off my news and rumors list than with 
this. Marvel has officially taken a stance and says they are no longer going to be catering to the newcomers in their films. According to McFeely and Marcus, the two screenwriters of this last Marvel film, and the two screenwriters that are doing the Avengers Infinity Wars, when talking to the rap, stated, we had to make a decision early that we were okay losing Virgin audience members. If you don't know some of these movies before you walk in, you might be lost, but hopefully you'll be entertained. We can't do previously in the MCU because it would take 25 minutes. The MCU isn't a new thing. It's an ongoing story that's organically evolving movie to movie. In the beginning, I think Marvel did operate as, if this is your first time, it should be as fun as if it was your third time. It's, it's a dense, ongoing novel at this point, which I'm really glad to hear because it is showing that Marvel is evolving and it is showing the forethought that they are putting into what the story is in the MCU. Mm-hmm. That you are going to have to have these contexts to mm-hmm. understand what is going on. Second on the list is uh, the Russo brothers so very successfully uh, put Spider-Man into one of their films. Yes. I'm not I'm gonna I, I see I see your grin from ear to ear. I'm gonna say, hang on, we'll get to Spider Man in a little bit. But the next Marvel character that would require a lot of finagling deal dealings dealing wise with contracts and such. Mm. That they would love to tackle. A character they want in one of their future films. Okay. Wolverine. Really? They really want Wolverine. I don't think that's going to happen. It's a fool's dream. <laughs> Fox is so Fox is so up Brian Singer's butt that what they have is pure gold that they're never going to let Marvel. It continues to pull in money also, so. Yeah, it's not like where Sony was starting to become crippled by their creative teams that they were like, "We need help." Please. Can I can I lay an Easter egg? What's your Easter for egg? our X-Men Apocalypse episode? No, because I have a bit in my news rumors that is going to get you into a rabbit hole. With I know what you're going to talk about, okay. so just hang on to it, because I got something that's going to be in the same vein. Okay. Uh, next up on the news rumors is Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2 are going to be two very different films. Initially, when Marvel was announcing their slate of films, you know, they said, you know, they captioned it with Part 1 and Part 2. It is not to be confused with the same marketing ploys of like Mockingjay and the Deathly Hollows, where it is a story split down right. the middle. You and I speculated. Every, everybody just at this point, everybody is a, had been assuming that that would be the case because up until now, other movies that have been split apart with the part one, part right. two. And you and I speculated in previous episodes that we always. We always assume that wouldn't be the case anyways, that the whole point of them even filming back-to-back was to just... It's just... Save, fis- it's fis- just save money. Yeah, it's fiscally more responsible to just have everyone there at the same time to yeah. get all the filming done. Because they're starting filming this November, and it's mm-hmm. coming out in th- three years from now? Yeah. Because next year we got Black Panther, Thor, and Spider-Man. Well, and... let's hope another comic book company doesn't release a movie that requires them to change their plan slightly nah like how bvs came out and they changed their captain america plan slightly to be civil war nah that's not gonna happen um the the russos when they were doing their uh press junket you know traditionally 
uh, reporters keep they always they always probe for the next thing, right? Like they're they're advertising mm-hmm. what hasn't even been seen yet, and people want more. Like what's coming next? I want to know what can you give me? Yeah, it is part of the joy of what I love tracking with these movies through uh, pre production and through production and post production is you really feel involved in what's going on. You always get these little tidbits, and it really keeps you invested when you realize oh, that movie's gonna come out in four years. But you feel the anticipation continuously building through every one of those years. Yeah. Um, the Russo brothers did reiterate again. These are two very different films. Uh, the part one and part two is a very misleading uh, title. And they also said the intention is that they are going to change it. They obviously have not come up with the ti- they have not come up with the titles yet, but they will be changed. So they're just placeholder titles. Just at this placeholder point. titles. Stephen McFeely, who again is the screenwriter that I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. was quoted as saying, "It's not like Harry Potter or the Hunger Games, where so many people know what the story is and they know where you're cutting it, and so therefore they know how much is left. With Infinity War, no one will know anything. So again, it's kind of reiterating what we were saying before." but it's from the mouth of the screenwriter. Right. Cool. Next. Universal, through the powers of Alex Kurtzman, is launching their own movie-verse. They're rebooting all their classic monsters and they're creating a, a cohesive story. Right. You know, We've mentioned it before. We have. So some of the updates on that is obviously we had Tom Cruise as the lead in the Mummy reboot, which is going to be the launch pad for the uh, the movie-verse. I don't think I knew it was Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tom Cruise is the lead. Uh, we have Johnny Depp has signed on as the Invisible Man and will oh, be yeah, appearing that. in that movie. And it is actually officially now confirmed that Universal nabbed Russell Crowe to play Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and he will also be making an appearance in that movie. I think he's going to lose weight again? I don't know. He's getting ready to come out with a movie with Ryan Gosling and he's all chubby again. Well, then I guess he would have to lose weight. Universal also released a very cryptic synopsis of the Mummy movie, kind of giving us an idea of what this film is going to be. Obviously, when you think of the movie The Mummy, what comes to my mind is Brendan Fraser's Mummy, which was a joy. It's also very, very different than the classic movie tale. Right. So here I have for you the synopsis. Okay, lay it on me. Tom Cruise headlines, a spectacular all-new cinematic version of the legend that has fascinated cultures all over the world since the dawn of civilization, the mummy. Thought safely entombed in a crypt deep beneath the unforgiving desert, an ancient queen, played by Sophia Botella of Kingsman Secret Service and Star Trek Beyond. This is also the same, this is the villain from Kingsman with the, the dagger feet. Oh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> An ancient queen, played by Daggerfeet from Kingsman, whose <laughs> destiny was unjustly taken from her, is awakened in our current day, bringing with her malevolence grown over millennia and terrors that defy human comprehension. Oh my. From the sweeping sands of the Middle East, through hidden labyrinths under modern-day London, the mummy brings a surprising intensity and balance of wonder and thrills in an imaginative new take that ushers in a new world of gods and monsters. When Universal was talking about the idea of having a movie verse with their classic monsters, I kind of liked the idea. Mm-hmm. Benicio Del Toro's and Anthony Hopkins' uh, Wolfman yes. was a very good reboot of Wolfman. It was. And the idea of having maybe the Creature of the Black Lagoon, uh, Frankenstein, 
and Dracula being retold in that manner was very exciting to me. What I don't like, honestly, they're, what they're doing, what, what they're doing with their casting is setting a tone for me, and the tone that's being set is kind of like maybe a little bit better version of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's. I don't know, like I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing so far. Right. From, you know, Alex Kurtzman has never directed a film before. He's only ever done scripts. In the past, he's been involved in properties that you and I love, but he's often the cause for issues. You know what I mean? So like, he was involved in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and he's part of Lately, the... especially, more often than not, him and Kurtzman. He's just kind of poison. Or him and Orky. Him and Orky. Yeah, Kurtzman Orky are the dynamic duo who did all of the Transformer films. They did Star Trek, the, the new Transformer Prime TV show. Um, they did Fringe. So they have they have good things and they have terrible things. Unfortunately for them, the terrible things tend to collect together in the more recent years. Leaving a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Making me go, I'm not exactly sure I want this to happen. No. Especially with, like, Tom Cruise is really good in the Mission Impossible films. I'm okay with him there. I really enjoy those films. They're really fun. But. No. Yeah. Next. The Wrap is giving us some info on the Supergirl TV show drama. So, when The Wrap was revealing the news between the CBS and Warner Brothers as they were trying to figure out the future of Supergirl. They were quoted as saying, both sides have, have a potential out. Mooms, who I guess is one of the EPs, could push Supergirl to the CW, which as it happens is a joint venture between CBS and Warners. Moons and his team are responsible for programming the network. Such a switch would make perfect sense. The youth-skewing CW already has The Flash and other superhero franchises. There was a crossover between Supergirl and The Flash this season, and its audience is much more aligned with Supergirl than the CW's or the CBS's much grayer viewership. So Supergirl actually is very much indeed on IGN's endangered list. We have no news on where it stands and if they want to continue it, and it kind of sounds... It's viewership is good it's not great right it's also cbs that we're talking about so like cbs is not one of the major networks that really pulls in the views compared to like fox or nbc Mm -hmm. or even abc for that matter um but the fact that you the fact that they have even gone as far as to thoroughly plan out plan out a contingency plan of it moving to the cw kind of tells me where they're leaning towards because they're they've sounds like they figured it out how to do it yeah that's actually kind of good news probably for the cw universe it's because legend of tomorrow is not working out arrow continues to just go down the drain legends of tomorrow is the perfect show to watch when you've got nothing else to do oh my gosh we've had this discussion and we decided that throwdown with bobby flay is a better time waster We we didn't decide that Yes, we did. We didn't decide that. Yes, we did. We didn't decide that. Oh, you're right. We decided that if if you don't care about bad acting, if you don't care about bad storytelling, right, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. and all you care about is the concept of the show and what it could slash should 
B, but it is not at all. It is the show for you. It's the show for you. <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow, man. <laughs> and let me tell you, things are getting hot you heavy. Be, the you Ant-Man. should be the marketing <laughs> head for that show. Ant-Man grew. Because you could, you could save it. I could. That's enough for that trash. Moving on. So, executive producer Simon Kinberg, who is heavily involved in all the Fox properties like Deadpool and the X-Men franchise, which I'm pretty sure people know about. Okay. I'm going to lay something down for you, Clayton. Lay it down. First class took place in the 60s. Right. Days of Future Past took place in the 70s. Okay. Age of Apocalypse takes place in the 80s. It has officially been confirmed that the next X-Men movie to follow Age of Apocalypse takes place in the 90s. What in the holy hell are they doing over there? I and I feel, I feel it, like this is an insult to James come... McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. Like they they they're not aging they're not aging that poorly. <clears throat> he's rubbing his he's rubbing his brow. <laughs> that that is the stupidest thing. Now I know why. That's 30 yeah. years. 30 years. When the when the actors, <laughs> when the characters in the 60s were in their at at best early 20s, okay? So so that would that would make them so in the 60s they're in their 20s, in the 70s they're in their 30s, in the 80s they're in their 40s, and in the 90s they're in their they're in their 50s. Let's put this in the, in perspective for some of the audience members. Havoc Okay. is Cyclops younger brother in the comics in this movie verse he's now the older brother right he's introduced to us yep in first class as a teenager yes so days of future past 10 years has gone by so he's now mid-20s right okay now we're in the 80s so he's in his 30s. Yeah. The young 20s actor who's playing Havoc still today yeah. is now mid-30s, his character is. And then we're introduced to his younger brother, Cyclops. Played by, casted by a very young actor. And we're supposed to be convinced that the next film is nine is 10 years later? So Havoc is at least... 20 years older than his younger brother. Let's not... Is the Easter egg you're going to talk about the, the, the age contradiction of the timeline being reset? Yeah. I think this applies of how ridiculous everything is. Well, the timeline's stupid because we now have Psylocke and Angel. Two characters who were in The Last Stand. Two characters who were in X-Men 3, The Last Stand, are now... The same age or older, at least the same age, but this movie takes place, so it's in the 80s, 20 years yep. before Last Stand. Yeah. So, in the era that they should be born in and be babies, right? they are adults. Correct. And here's what I find laughable and idiotic and i'm sorry but if you are thinking to yourself while you're listening 
what I'm about to say. You are dumb. Days of Future Past Clayton was the movie that reset the timeline. The whole point of that movie was to allow new storytelling for the future. Nothing in Days of Future Past would have caused two characters mm-hmm. to be born decades before they were supposed to be. Because no. that would also imply... Because it was 10 years before that, this movie. ...that their parents were born decades before. Right. You can't... Timelines aren't reset like that. You can reset a timeline to tell new stories, but you have to use characters that make sense. You can't pull two mid-20s characters from a movie that takes place 20 years into the future and still have them be that age. It doesn't work. Brian Singer thinks so. Brian Singer is a dope. <laughs> He's a dope. <laughs> and he, what's funny to me is he really, like, he pigeon... He, this contradiction that we have with the X-Men timeline could have been avoided if he didn't acknowledge the last stand. If Brian, if Brian Singer said, to me, what the X-Men movies are are the ones that I've made, okay? And ignore the last stand and pretend like it didn't happen. He could have done that. I mean, there's the same thing like Emil Blomkamp, who did District 9, is doing a Alien movie, but he's ignoring Alien 3 and 4. It's a sequel to Alien 2 and starting a new timeline the way mm-hmm. he thinks it should have gone, which I think is an okay premise because Aliens 3 and 4 were stupid anyways. Right. So Brian Singer could have done this, but because he brought Cyclops back to life... And acknowledge that he was dead solidifies and verifies that Last Stand is canon in what is the X Men universe. That happened in Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. The whole one of the biggest things about Days of Future Past was changing. One of the biggest storytelling elements was they were able to bring Cyclops back to life because the past was changed. So that means that Last Stand is Last Stand is legit because is legit. otherwise he wouldn't be dead. Exactly. I only saw uh, Days of Future Past once, so <laughs> I totally forgot that Cyclops was even in it. I'm going to go out on a limb and probably say that our Age of Apocalypse episode is not going to be one that's positive. Well, I can tell you right now it's not going to be because I can start ripping it apart right now because Apocalypse is apparently a benevolent, mutant-loving ruler who wants to change the world for the good of mutant kind which is already so far off base for what apocalypse is ryan singer's a dope hashtag it maybe he's a dope he doesn't deserve any other insults he's a dope (laughs) and he needs to stay away from the x-men he thinks he knows the x-men oh he's a I think, if anything, his choice in costumes gives us an insight to his personal life. That's <laughs> what so tickles his fancy. Do you have anything that screams, my dad loves leather? You mean leather daddy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Ben Affleck Clayton is officially upped to the executive producer of the Justice League. Thank goodness. We've been dancing around this for the last few episodes. I've said several times, and you've concurred, that Zack Snyder needs someone 
above him that yep. will point him and keep him in line. And hopefully that's what this move is all about. Uh, Birth Movie's death gave us kind of a behind-the-scenes little insight to how Affleck actually felt about BVS after the fact and after hearing all the negative criticism. And <laughs> you it's, mean it's his, partially the... You mean that uh, interview where, where he's just like sitting there staring off into the nothing like Henry Cavill is like, oh yeah, we should just, you know, it's for the fans, don't worry about critics. And Affleck's just sitting there like, not again. <laughs> Not again. Not again. Yeah, so the Hollywood Reporter uh, tells us that he's going to be actually working alongside Chris Terrio to fine-tune the script. And the behind the, the, behind the scenes... For Justice League? Yeah. And the behind-the-scenes story that we got was uh, Affleck was incredibly unhappy about the reception of BBS. He felt humiliated after spending so much time of the press tour saying how much better this film would be than Daredevil. On top... <laughs> on <laughs> Affleck said that? On top of that... On top of that, his agent was furious when Kevin Sujiara jumped the gun and announced him as the director of the Batman. There were still negotiations happening. This move seems to help uh, place Affleck while also edging Zack Snyder out of controlling central positions in the DC movieverse. And I think probably why he was most angered by that was, one, like you said, negotiations were still in effect so they're you know vying for money and control and this and the other mm-hmm. um but also it Affleck is, ma- is really making a name for himself in hollywood he's becoming a very very a... well respected director yes and actor like he's acting as movies like argo and the town and is doing a phenomenal job in those films so being attached to such i don't know being attached to such a joke of a film that bvs is is like 10 steps backwards for him it's yeah. easy it's like it's kind of reminded me of early 2000s ben affleck <laughs> well i'm sure it was for him also he's like what but have I done? this bodes well not only for justice league but it bodes well for batman in general we, we kind of talked about this last week i think or maybe the week before it was last week the jeff johns stuff mm-hmm. but i think if affleck is given the opportunity, he will tell Batman correctly. I, I want to believe that because he's a good storyteller and he's a good director. I agree. So, just play into the rules that Don't Warner Brothers has set down for their cinematic universe. Right. Respect what came before, right? but do your own thing. So respect <laughs> that Batman vs. Superman came before you, right? but completely ignore that Batman is a mass murderer. And tell your own story. I agree. And redeem yourself, Affleck. <laughs> I have faith in you. The Batman colon redemption. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Spider-Man colon homecoming. You're right. Like hitting the nose on the head nowadays. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Email it to him. I'll sell you this, this name idea for... <laughs> redemption. $10,000. It's a story about the Bat family coming together and all sorts of stuff. Oh, man, I can't wait. Next. Kevin Feige has officially said that they are committed to a Black Widow film. He is quoted as saying, We've announced the next nine movies, ten counting Civil War, through the end of 2019. Where we go beyond that are ongoing discussions that we'll focus on in the next few years because we have a lot to do before then. Of the characters that you've just mentioned, I would say certainly the one creatively and emotionally that we are most committed to 
is the Black Widow. We think she's an amazing character. We think Scarlett Johansson's portrayal of her is amazing. She's a lead Avenger and has amazing stories in her own right to tell that we think would be fun and would be able to turn into a standalone franchise. This is not surprising to me. This is something that has been kind of teased over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, people have been wanting it. Uh, Marvel has been kind of leading the way when it comes to diversity in Hollywood. And although we're getting... Until uh, Star Wars came along. Until Star Wars came along. I mean, yeah, but still. <laughs> um, it was all about timing. Like, when when do we tell a Black Widow story? Um, I think, personally, Black Widow's uh, more enticing stories would be a prequel movie, which we have never seen in a Marvel film. All of Marvel's films have been movies that have been perpetuating the story forward in some respect. We did get uh, a little... I don't know, kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say Easter egg, but it's kind of Easter eggish. But like when uh, Bucky was in Winter Soldier mode and was choking out Scarlett Johansson, she goes, "You could at least recognize me." And we got, got we heard from the Winter Soldier that she had run-ins with the Winter Soldier and she knew who he was. Mm-hmm. That you could easily you could easily tell a story of Black Widow, even pre-Shield, and being kind of like I see. I don't know. I'm on the fence about that because the more, the further into her past that you go, the less heroic she is. Because she was an assassin, then she was a double agent, then she was a triple agent, then she joined S.H.I.E.L.D. But wouldn't it give you context to see like where she came from to know where she's at now? But do you want to watch a movie about bad Black Widow? A Black Widow who's a Russian spy hunting down... Americans and killing them. I don't know. Would Hawkeye be in it? Yeah. So it's a Hawkeye movie. And the villain is Black Widow. And that's how they met and he turned her. The Red Ledger. I'd be okay with that, but then it's not a Black Widow movie anymore. That's true. I am interested in how they would do it. You know, Kevin Faggy says that he... I'm okay with... There's interesting stories to tell with her, but she... For me, her interesting stories are when she's accompanied by someone. See, Ed Brubaker, when he left Captain America and did a Winter Soldier ongoing comic where Bucky was no longer Cap and took the Winter Soldier name again, but obviously was not an evil assassin. It was a buddy comic between him and Black Widow, and there were a lot of really good things that came out of that comic. Um, we got sight, we got a tip of the hat in the movie Civil War. Uh, during that comic reign, they explored the Winter Soldier program and how there were multiple Winter Soldiers. And that's where that came from in that movie. It was, again, just a nod to Ed Brubaker. Um, so, again, I, d- I don't know... I guess I just don't know how I feel about a Black Widow film. I'm okay I with... Want, I want them to do it, but only... Well, I mean, it's kind of... She doesn't have goes, cool without, goes without saying, but I only want them to do it if it's going to be worth it. I don't I want them to do it just so they can have a female lead. Like, that's why they should be exploring Captain Marvel and a few other of the actual heroic females in the Marvel Universe. Because Black Widow is... I mean, she's heroic now, and the MCU version of her is definitely heroic, but that's not really who she is in the comics. So I'd be anxious to see where they get the inspiration from, I guess. No, I agree. Um, Wonder Woman officially wrap production today today being monday this episode goes live on wednesday so may the 9th it was wrapped and it's due out june of 2017 
Dang. That's a lot of post. Isn't it? Yeah. I kind of the same thing. DC likes to drag their That's feet. almost a year. That's more than a year. Yeah. That's a year and a month. What are they going to do? <laughs> well, you see, Clayton, real artists take time to edit their films. Yeah, and Marvel is just a factory. It's ridiculous. It's BVS all over again. Because we, we got a trailer at... It wasn't last Comic-Con. It was something recently. They, they showed us footage. From Wonder Woman? Yeah. I didn't see that. You didn't see it? Mm-hmm. It looks stupid. <laughs> but Chris Pine... Should have been Hal Jordan, not the love interest of Wonder Woman. <laughs> what a waste of an actor. True. It's stupid. But it's so dumb. I was everything so that we know so far, when they finally do go back to Green Lantern, it may not be Hal Jordan. Well, the most recent tidbit on that is that we'll actually have Hal, John, and Kyle. All in one movie? All in one movie. Which Kyle, Dude, Kyle Kyle's my favorite. Kyle's my favorite. They should just go straight for Kyle. Kyle was only like they should respect what came before. <laughs> Tell a new story. <laughs> my biggest beef for that movie, and I'm glad they understand that J- John Stewart at least can't be by himself. I think people clamor to the thought that John Stewart is this really cool Green Lantern because they are familiar with the Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the comics and even the cartoon in general, John is not an important Green Lantern. You have Hal, who is the most powerful green lantern he's the first human chosen by the rings that's that's incredibly important when you um, say more more most powerful you mean just as a green lantern since kyle can control everything? i would say as a green lantern his will is the strongest above everyone okay. else's because kyle can control the entire spectrum right you, you have john who's just an ex-army architect so his constructs make what about guy gardner If you're making a movie about the other three, shouldn't we have Guy Gardner involved also? So Jon Stewart gets lost <laughs> in the shadows because Hal Jordan is this like epically awesome Green Lantern. Then you have Kyle Rayner who, when he became a Green Lantern, at that point in time, the comics of the Green Lantern Corps was non-existent. It had fallen apart because Hal Jordan became uh, the Spectre and destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. Kyle rebuilt the Green Lantern Corps. This is how important Kyle is to the Green Lantern mythology. He's the reason it was rebuilt. And then after Blackest Night, when we first learned of the White Lanterns, yes, Hal and Sinestro were able to wield the White Lantern, or the White, yeah, the White Lantern and the ring. But Kyle was the one that was chosen to wield it permanently. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something special. Yes. And he can control everything else. Kyle is just the best. He's the bee's knees, man. And his costume's the coolest. It is the coolest. It's actually because he's in the comics. He's a graphic designer. He's a comic book artist. That's why he... Oh, because the costumes are constructs. Right, right. Yeah. Gotcha. Simon Krenberg confirms that Wolverine will have an R rating. Oh, surprise, surprise. Fox had such success with Deadpool that they're going to slap an R rating on everything they can now. I guarantee it. Don't break. Don't break what's not broke. Or wait, don't... That being said, though, like I, I, I immediately go and become a, like a cynicist. But Wolverine's probably another one that could do R rating. He's pretty violent. He is. I just worry about the interesting story. Like the Wolverine was entertaining enough story, but I have not watched it a second time. Yeah, I can't go back and watch it. I just, 
I like Hugh Jackman in the role. And I guess technically, thanks to that, he doesn't have adamantium claws anymore, right? Yeah, I don't know how they're going to address that. I wonder what's going to happen there. And Patrick Stewart is also... We now have two storylines going on in the X-Men universe where he doesn't have adamantium claws, right? And Patrick Stewart is in that movie. What what time period does that take place in? So you're telling me... You're telling me... Wait, what? So you're telling me, in this X-Men universe, James McAvoy, who plays Professor X now... Yes. An actor who's in his 30s... Yes. Will be playing a... Let me see what he said. 50-year-old man in the next X-Men movie. <laughs> but, that, but again, he's portraying a 50-year-old man and then jumps to being Patrick Stewart, who will be playing Professor X in present day. Well, you know, one day age just catches up to you. <laughs> He just, he went to bed one day and woke up the next as Patrick Stewart and thought, whoa, it finally got me. The age finally got me. I saw someone uh, in that article where they had talked about it being set in the 90s. The article was captioned, like, who do you think the villain's going to be? And the one con- and the giggle was, who's the villain, who's the villain going to be? Uh, Magneto? <laughs> <laughs> So I have a question. Question slash news. Will the Infinity War movies be about two separate Avengers teams? I don't want to dive into this too deep, but Civil War leaves us with what appears to be Avengers and the Secret Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be. We I, all we all kind of assume that the original core Avengers, like, things would happen. Right. Like, that mirrored the comics. Like, Iron Man went out to space. For a while, join the Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe uh, Hulk also was out in space. Thor's back taking care of Ragnarok. We assumed the iconic thing that happened at the end of Civil War was going to happen to Cap also in the movie. Right. And it didn't. So I think that that's probably the case. We're going to have... That that phone call is what brings everyone together maybe in the second movie or something. Yeah. Maybe it's a secret Avengers. Because there's really not enough of Tony's Avengers right now no unless he recruits Doc. Stephen strange and it'll be interesting to definitely see what happens because nothing else no other new characters come out before that right well, we got captain marvel that comes out in between well that's so what she... i mean but so she's like... but they said that she's being introduced in the first infinity war so maybe we'll see i, I say yes i'm just wondering i think Cap's Secret Avengers as of the end of Civil War is the more captivating team. I agree. And it's funny because when the movie was first coming out, people were looking at the lineup and they were thinking Iron Man's team is going to whip their butt. And it was so cool to see that fight scene show that Cap's team was the was well, the had, powerhouse. He had all the powers. I think people really, overlooked Iron that. Man only had Spidey. Spidey and well, he had the vision. Well, he had the vision. And Black Panther. He's not a power. He's got superpower and I mean, he's got strength and dexterity. Well, not just because he's a warrior. That vibranium suit, though. Oh, man. So, anyways, what brings me to that is, uh, again, McFeely. We've been talking about him a lot today. He's quoted saying, When outlining Infinity War, they certainly had those conversations that we've been having just now. In the same way... That in Civil War, not everyone has the same amount of scenes or lines. I think that you can assume that with so many characters in Infinity War, 
will have to be as rigorous. Certain characters will have larger stories and others will have smaller stories and hopefully they can flip in some cases. I know a few right off the top of my head that I have a small part in one movie and a bigger part in another movie. The people in the background in one might come to the foreground in the other. There are moments where every damn person who's still alive will be in the same room and those scenes are just a nightmare to write because Marvel is very good about hiring good actors. It's like the 15th person in the scene, in the scene has two Oscars. So yeah, it's a little crazy. I'm anxious to see what they do. I'm I'm more anxious in the the two, fi well now, right, as right now, the one film that takes place between both the Infinity Wars, which is Captain Marvel, which is why I really think that Marvel is going to be putting something else in that slot, because the idea was to have two movies in between Infinity War, which was Captain Marvel, and the Inhumans, but the Inhumans has been put on the back burner. And I really think they're going to put something there. Because they, 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 they want to keep that momentum going. Yeah leading up to the next movie but I, again we we know that the two movies are going to be separate movies but I'm just I'm really interested in seeing how what is the story and how do they keep it going forward I trust them I'm just interested to end Clayton my news and rumors I want to start talking about something that we love about Civil War and that is Spider-Man mm. Kevin Feige has come out and given us a little bit more insight on what happened in the background and what exactly fell into place to allow them to get Spider-Man back Ooh. home at Marvel. Lay it on me. I want to hear it. Because Kevin's been very coy about this, right? And I think probably because yeah. until the deal was finalized, he didn't want to like step on any toes. So he even waited until after like <laughs> Civil War was on the screen. Okay, it's real. Let's People talk love about it. it. <laughs> Somebody can't say no. Come on. Okay, so Kevin came out and said, It came down to an initial lunch between myself and Amy Pascal, and then many subsequent phone calls and meetings where I basically suggested that they should allow us to creatively produce the film for them. I don't know how serious any of those ticking clocks ever were. On some characters, that was the case. With Spider-Man, there are many years in between those films, and I don't think that there was ever the case. They had all the time in the world to keep making those movies. It became a question of, we are not good at helping, just occasionally giving input or occasional feedback or comments in a screening or on a script. I had done that a little bit on the earlier Amazing Spider-Man films. It doesn't really work because you become one voice among many. And we actually read some of the screen notes on Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I was getting ready to interrupt you and say everything that was bad about Amazing Spider-Man 2, Fahey in a... One of the leaked emails. Advice email was like, you probably shouldn't do this, you probably shouldn't do that, and they did it anyways. <laughs> but had they listened to his edited notes, that movie would have been out of sight. Yeah. And I would have been really happy with it. Mm -hmm. He also goes on to say, I said the only way, the best way, he's so good with his words, I love him, and he, this is all off the cuff in an interview. He's, he's a very thoughtful and very precise person whenever he's being interviewed. Mm-hmm. I said the only way, the best way, that we could help is if you let us do it for you. It stays a Sony character, and Sony pays for it, and Sony makes the profits from the film. And it's marketed and distributed by the entire Sony team. That deal was agreed to over many discussions. Thankfully, it's now been well over a year, and step one in our two-step plan is unveiled this weekend, Civil War. Mm -hmm. So far, the response has been a dream come true in introducing him. Instead of it being the third reboot of the Spider-Man character, it becomes the first version of the Spider-Man character that we reveal has been inside the MCU. To Amy's credit, and to Tom Rothman, who now has been at the helm of Sony, and we've been actively putting it all together, their support has been spectacular in allowing us to bring him into this world. 
I liked what he said about the MCU. I like one of the things I loved most about Spider-Man was how organically it he came about in that mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you avoid the origins. You don't have to go down that minutia. You don't. At this point, if you don't know how Spider-Man got his powers, you don't need to know. Even down to Tony probing him, like, "Why are you doing this?" And he kind of has like this emotional moment where you know. He's thinking about Uncle Ben, but never says it. I thought, mm-hmm. not only was that so smart, but how well written and acted that scene was. Yeah. That we really know what's going on behind his eyes because we know generally who Peter Parker is. Yeah. Or where he came from. But you don't have to rehash it. But we'll get into some of the positives about Spider-Man stuff. But that's all I got from news and rumors today. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into the topic of the show. Because that ended up being a meaty conversation in news and rumors. Our topic of the show today, as we've mentioned, is the release of Captain America Civil War. <clears throat> First, let's dive into some box office numbers. Lay it on me, Clayton. What did it make? Opening weekend, mm-hmm. $180 million. It is the fifth biggest opening ever in North America. Number one being Force Awakens. Number two being Jurassic World, number three being Avengers, and number four being Avengers Age of Ultron. The number five slot that, uh, or the movie that held the number five slot previously was Iron Man 3. So that just goes to show you how Marvel is just dominating the box office. Mm. Uh, Thursday night, it made $25 million just on its Thursday night opening. Uh, to give some global comparison, it made $95.6 million opening weekend in China, which is the second biggest movie market. Uh, this number also happens to be more than Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice grossed in its entirety <laughs> in China. So, the Chinese like, if you ask a Chinese man, Marvel or DC, I would almost wager that they would say Marvel because they they've voted with their wallet. <laughs> that's actually that's a really sad number for an entire run, ninety five million. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this comes to us via USA Today. In terms of how good of a result those Friday numbers are, Captain America: Civil War has the eighth highest opening day of all time behind the likes of Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Jurassic World, and yes, Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. However, this movie will easily top that one's opening weekend, making Marvel the victor when it comes to 2016's biggest superhero versus superhero release. The biggest difference between them is the fact that Captain America Civil War has legs and should effortlessly reach $1 billion within a matter of weeks. Audiences have grown used to these characters now, and after the abysmal, sorry, Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's hardly a shock that the wall crawler's presence hasn't sent this movie rocketing past the Avengers opening haul of $208 million from 2012. Regardless, this is a fantastic result for Marvel, and no doubt ensures that they're talking about a Captain America 4. I think okay. USA Today is probably jumping the gun on that one. 
Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens. every time Feige has even talked about Thor, Iron Man, or Cap, he always talks about them being in trilogies. And he's used that word. Not sagas, not series. He's always talked about, like, it's their trilogy. I mean, obviously we've talked about Iron Man, like, Iron Man 4 would be cool to be seen. It's, it's been talked about and stuff. But as of right now, I think the mentality is, like, each character has a three-movie a three movie arc. Yeah. Leading up to Infinity War. We'll see. Uh, to round out our data display of Civil War. The Rotten Tomato score currently is at 90%. Has an audience score of 92%. Ooh. Uh, Metacritic has it at 75% from critics. And an audience score of 8.3 out of 10. So Metacritic's site is a little bit harsher. But still shows as being well received both by critics and audiences. Yeah. Everywhere. Let's jump into our thoughts this is the point where it's going to be spoiler full so if you haven't seen the movie press pause go see the movie come back press play or just listen if you don't care about that you know i know a lot of people listen to our bvs and hadn't seen it yet (laughs) so i know people who listen to it and didn't see it because of that we saved them money (laughs) we saved them money hopefully this will convince you to go see it will convince you to spend money you should go see it right now because i don't think there's going to be anything in this this review that makes us say you should not see this film okay music go so the music in this movie was composed by henry jackman henry jackman has been is a composer that i am quickly falling in love with he uh caught my attention as the composer of days of future past which had a fantastic score he later came out and uh, with uh, Kingsman Secret Service and was the composer on that. And was also the composer on The Winter Soldier, the previous Captain America film that the Russo Brothers directed. Mm-hmm. And is the composer on this movie. Yeah, the music's really good. It, uh, it sets a good tone because it both um, reflects the tension mm-hmm. between the team um the theme for bucky as winter soldier is really cool it's really unique it kind of reminds me of that single in, in the dark night hans zimmer had that single violin right sound for the joker and you just knew that something was going on with the joker when that came on screen yeah and now we have the winter soldier scream <laughs> right <clears throat> and then I don't know why this is, but like when he did the score in Winter Soldier and this one, there was something about having just like a super heavy brass section with percussion background that just kind of like invites that almost like American theme. Like I don't know, like when you realize this, when you really listen to the fanfares that's supposed to represent Cap, mm-hmm. it's always really heavy with horns, uh, and the percussion has uh, metal elements in it in the background. And I think it, I don't know, it's. It mirrored the film, which was one that was fun but very serious. I think when you look at some of the, even some of the scores from previous Marvel films, they're very like lighthearted and like because it's supposed to like be an adrenaline rush, right? Mm-hmm. This movie, although it was exciting, was exciting on a different level because it was exciting based on what was going on. It wasn't. I don't like it. I feel like I'm not explaining myself well. It wasn't a shallow popcorn flick, is what I'm trying to say. Like, mm. it had so much substance to it. 
and what made it so engaging was again the story the acting of the characters which i think some people have issues in previous marvel films where they feel like that's lacking and the music helps augment that exactly it helps it helps set the mood so that when our characters go on an emotional roller coaster showing range mm. being happy disappointed sad mad glad right we feel it exactly this leads us into the general tone of the film um the russos again have the classic look and feel that we were introduced to in winter soldier so that we know that this is a captain america film right um something where politics things of political nature that's a good way uh, to put it it's kind of it's hard to explain unless you just see it but it does have that feel like if you would other political thrillers right have this same kind of like filter and like the candidate and Mm -hmm. other things like that yeah it'll be interesting to see you know i kind of talked about this a little bit i i have complete faith in the brothers because of their work on community uh shows that they're very uh, they're very good at mimicking or mirroring many genres because the show community each episode usually mirrors a movie mm-hmm. and kind of parodying the movie mm-hmm. so I, I know that they have the knowledge and the range of just like pulling in all these like films of the crevice of the minds and creating this cohesive tone and being able to place it where it's appropriate but you, you and i did have a conversation where it will be very interesting to see what they do tonally in Avengers, they have said they understand it needs to be a different tone because each each character's film franchise should feel different. Mm-hmm. But it will be interesting to see how the tone it really is. Because we got to see them juggle the characters mm-hmm. in a film, but it was in the tone of a Cap film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you... My kind of initial argument was we'll, we will see if that's really the tone of a captain america film or if that's the russo's directorial style and we won't really know that for sure right until we see their work on avengers and it'll be interesting they seem very excited about it but it will be interesting to see if they can break away from that i feel like it's almost as if like if john favreau had directed the avengers i feel like he would be really stuck on iron man because like you your love is what you're first in with, right? So mm-hmm. the Russo brothers were brought into the Marvel universe with kind of revamping Captain America and giving us like the best kept film ever and arguably the best Marvel film ever with the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if they're able to kind of take a step back and say like, we loved this character, but it's time for us to, to give some affection to some other characters as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is a good point to transition into how well they were able to adapt the theme from the Civil War comic into the MCU. Right. So, I mean, basically, it's the same, but what fuels the reason for them to be controlled or registered is different. In the comic, um, I mean, it's not even that different, though. It's very similar. The biggest difference is it was more about the secret identities of the vigilantes like it was still i need the government wants to register and control all of the superheroes because they're basically vigilantes right but the bigger issue was they all have these secret identities that need to be protected like that was one of their biggest 
biggest things. And that's why Spider-Man coming out was like such a big thing because right. of all of all the characters yeah. of Marvel's comics, he is the one who like holds the secret identity the closest to his chest. Because For those of, of you MJ who and Aunt May. haven't read the Civil War comic, Spider-Man originally was on Team Iron Man because he had kind of become his protege and believed so much in Tony that he revealed his secret identity, which is a big, big deal, as Corbin just said. Later saw what Tony's ego had turned the Registration Act into, right. imprisoning non-compliant heroes indefinitely without due process. Hiring villains Hiring to hunt down villains heroes. to hunt down heroes because most of the heroes were Team Cat because they didn't want to give up their secret identities. So then he switched sides. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways, the point is they were able to take the MCU, which basically doesn't have secret identities. No. The Avengers as we know it, besides Spider-Man. Right. And I guess now Scott Lang. Right. They don't have secret identities. No. But the tension is still there. The, the basic theme is the same. They're causing too much destruction in some people's opinion the world believes they need to be controlled and it comes down to should we have the freedom to act on our own in the world's best interest or do we give up our freedom to be controlled by people with agendas so it's like safety due to over registration mm-hmm. or danger with freedom which walking, away, which walking Away was one of the things I think I was just kind of most impressed with this movie, that you were able to take not only just an iconic comic book, but probably one of the most iconic comic book stories of all time at this point. The Civil mm-hmm. War story from Marvel, for me, is my favorite comic of anything ever. Yeah. It is so good and it's so compelling. And to take what that comic represents at its core... You know, just just be able to adapt it to what you've so clearly been laying the seeds for. It was it's awesome. It's just so cool. They and, been... and they they even took they even took the the initial incident right in the comic was reckless reckless teenage superheroes doing a reality show, getting fighting mega level villains and destroying a, a uh, an entire town an entire town. Mm-hmm. They even took that toned it down to a much more personal level you know we saw the destruction stuff in age of ultron and we knew seeing that movie kind of like what they were foreshadowing like the world is kind of getting to point where like okay we have enough we're having enough of this mm-hmm. but you compare the destruction that happened between hulkbuster and the hulk to what wanted it it's nothing but because the tone of the russos and the character of scarlet witch and everything it just hit home so much you know scarlet witch in an instant trying to save Cap and everyone around throws him in the air. But because she doesn't have control of her abilities fully yet, uh, she flings him into the side of a building. And he explodes. And it explodes. Yeah. I don't know. It was just, it really hit home and it was a very, it, it was a very em- emotionally successful scene. It was disappointing to see Crossbones use a plot device like that because we'll never see him again. Yeah. And he's the one who murders Cap in the comics. Yeah. But, I don't know. Like, you just, you really felt like, oh, dang. Yeah, they did a good job 
making it hit home so that you can empathize well with both sides. Because you, once you see what the Registration Act or the Sokovia Accords in the MCU right. is doing, if you don't comply, you are imprisoned indefinitely. No due process. You're just, you're done. Retired. Yeah. Um, so before that's revealed though, right. You have to see both sides. So that's how they, that's how they do that. And they do a good job. They, they get you on ground level and they play off of the destruction that we've seen before, but then give you a much more personal shot to the gut with an apartment building being blown up right there. And, you know, obviously since Spider-Man is, you have to have Spider-Man in the story. Obviously, he didn't play the same part. But I thought a really good substitute for Spider-Man that they used very well was Black Widow. I remember we were watching it and you going, mm-hmm. she's the flip-flopper. Yeah. That was that was cool and very organic. Because I almost, and there's even a little bit of talk and banter between Spidey and Cap when they're kind of duking it out where Cap is like, you're fighting on the wrong side and spidey's like yeah iron man said you'd say that and i was almost kind of like is he gonna get to him but then a few moments later it's actually black widow who helps him escape right so that was yeah that was cool i think it was again that was that was a good use of the assets that they had already set in place and using similar themes you have someone who originally thinks this is a good idea and then halfway through, while everybody's fighting, she realizes this isn't getting anything done, and Cap needs to go save the day. Like how he's not gonna stop. He's not gonna stop. So let's go let him save the day. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, our next point is how well the characters were balanced. We kind of are, are touching on this a little bit um, already. So let's jump right into the newer characters that we were just introduced to, how well they were fleshed out. Well, even... I guess we've kind of already done also, but like Scarlet Witch, we got to uh, see her in in a different light because up until the very end of Age of Ultron, we see her as an opposing force. Now we get to see her on our side, how she reacts to hurting innocence. Right. Um... The vision, man, the vision was really cool. Paul Bettany, Joss Whedon has Joss Whedon has done a few things in his career at the MCU, and we know that he's walked away forever. But some of the best things that he has done has been casting. Yeah, he casted Aaron Taylor Johnson as Quicksilver, which we are praying comes back to life. I was he, gonna bring that up earlier, but I didn't. If they don't bring Aaron Taylor Johnson back to life in the Infinity War using one of the stones, I'm going to be deeply upset. I agree. I was kind of hoping to hear some reference to him in this movie, but we kind of did when Hawkeye was like, oh, a debt. But I was kind of hoping to see more of her struggle with missing Pietro and really kind of making a call back, back to that. But they only had so much time with these characters, and I think the the Russo brothers did a really good job of making every character feel like they had some sort of arc and mm-hmm. it never felt overcrowded never felt too busy and uh, it was just juggled so well they also introduced us to well not only spider-man he's not really a new 
character, but you know, they introduced us to Black Panther, and the way they did it was just perfect. It was all a part yeah. of the story. Yep. His arc throughout the movie fit perfectly. He was awesome. There was even a moment uh, when his dad died, and he was holding him, and he was kind of like saying, like, I don't know if it was poppy, but it was something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And he was like kind of quivering and exhale. There was a moment where he did that, where this, the music and everything fell out, and all you heard was him like, like exhaling mm-hmm. and mourning. And that was just like, <clears throat> this movie really set the tone that death is a real thing. Yeah. They did it a lot in this movie, even to the point where, like Zemo had that torture moment mm-hmm. where he like tortured the uh, the ex Soviet and mm-hmm. then drowned him. Like, there's very mature themes happening in these Marvel films that showing that Marvel is growing up to the point where it's still family appropriate, but there are things that are like that are kind of dark. Yeah, better better serious things going on. But Black Panther. He was a sexy man. He was flipping awesome, man. His vibranium suit, the bee's knees. Well, the and the the cool things are in the details. You know, watching one one of my favorite scenes was watching Cap, Bucky, and Black Panther all running because you saw three distinct styles of kind of like parkour, if you will. Mm-hmm. You had Bucky, who is who is very precise and precision based, mm-hmm. as he's like falling and stuff, and that was cool. You have Cap, who is kind of just able to throw himself yeah, <laughs> because he just, can withstand it. Yeah, he just continually just like battering rams through everything and, and keeps his momentum going. And then you have the Black Panther who, because his suit is made of vibram- vibranium, when he drops, there's no recoil. It's just boop. And no sound. Just like No a, sound. Just like a... Because the suit absorbs it all. Panther? It was it just watching... The details of his movements mm-hmm. were so cool. Yeah, and his character growth was cool too, and felt organic. Yeah, definitely. Because he originally starts out, and man, he just he was out for blood. He, he was... wants to kill Bucky, and by the end of the movie, not <laughs> only is he over that, but he's able to uh, accept and move on and help Cap and Bucky, and then he's even uh, stops Zemo from offing himself. The so land that, of the living's not so done with you yet. Proper justice can be fulfilled. So, it... and to, like I don't know, to the point where when he's helping Cap and Bucky at the the in the credit stinger, he goes, "If I can help, if I can help him find peace, he'll I find want... peace for both him and his father." Yeah, like it. There's a lot of cool things going on with that character and what he represents as a person. Mm-hmm. It almost brings a spiritual nature to it. Yeah. But I'm very excited to see to see his, him out on his own movie. Yeah, I want that. I would want that out sooner. And, but it was supposed to be out next year. It got pushed back because of Spider-Man. Mm, yeah, I'll take Spider-Man first. That's Speaking of Spider-Man, holy bonkers. <laughs> when John Favreau said... I couldn't get the smile off of my face while he was on screen. He wasn't lying. No. Oh my goodness. He is even more so than Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. He is... Well, you said Andrew who? After that, oh, after yeah. that scene. After, after the scene, I leaned over to Corbin and I go, Andrew who? <laughs> Tom Holland is amazing. He doesn't shut up. Mm-hmm. He's making funny quirks. 
he's flipping and flopping around. I I will admit that they didn't really do anything new with like his movements and fighting style, but I mean you can't you can't yeah. Mark one thing that Mark Webb did perfectly in those two movies was Spider Man fighting and moving and stuff. So right. it's and I mean it's Spider Man you can't really change it a whole lot. Uh, they make reference to how he made his oh, webbing, which even in the web shooters of Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, he stole that from, from Oscar. Oscorp. He made the shooters. He made the shooters, but not the, but not the web. But old Tom Holland Spider-Man is just classic Spidey. I had like through. I had tears run down my eyes when Tony says, "I know a guy in the next screen said Queens." And I was yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, it's oh finally gosh. happening!" <laughs> he makes you laugh and he makes you smile and everything he did was just so cool he held his own against everybody um they kind of had a little bit of moment where they showed his weakness i guess meant to show his age Mm -hmm. after fighting uh ant-man as giant man um he kind of gets knocked around pretty good and stark basically benches him right and he kind of like he starts getting up and he's like no, I'm still good. And I was like, yeah, you're still good. But then he like kind of falls back down. And he's like, um, I'll stay here. And I was a little disappointed in that because it showed him to be a little bit more weak than right. what I would have liked. Um, but again, I think it was just setting up that he's only been doing this for six months. This is the first time he's ever even worn this official Spider-Man suit. They, so it leads into yeah. his movie to grow. They explain... Uh, you and I, even going into the movie, had talked about how they need it'd be, how cool it'd be to make his eyes move in the costume, and it was even mm. before Deadpool did it. Yeah, and I loved how not only does, does his eyes move, but they explain it. They explain it, why it's necessary. His senses are dialed up to eleven, and he has a hard time concentrating if he doesn't have some sort of. Oh, he just he has to have something that allows him to focus because right. his ho- his homemade costume he had goggles which kind of like had blinders right like thick steampunk almost goggles so you can only see straight forward so i think that's kind of what he was getting at was he needs to be able to just focus because he can without those blinders he's absorbing everything at the same time and he's doesn't have full control of his powers yet right and i think one of the one of the one of the biggest successes for marvel was spider-man was not only selling Spider-Man to us, mm-hmm. but my wife actually does not... She always thought Spider-Man was annoying. And when she came out of that movie, she was like, he was delightful. I think that I just haven't known who Spider-Man is because the movies have been terrible. I thought Spider-Man was like an annoying smartass. But no, he's... He's a fun smartass. She was like, he was, deli- <laughs> he was delightful. And I was like, yeah. He's perfect. Welcome to the family. <laughs> Have you guys seen that one movie called Empire Strikes Back with the giant walkie things on the snow planet? <laughs> the Star Wars nerd in me couldn't help but think, ATATs, Tom. ATATs. You mean not AT-ATs? <laughs> no, not AT-ATs. Only dorks say AT-ATs. Because the other ones that have STs and things in them, you won't say street or saint. Well, or they, st- they say chicken walker. Which is even stupider. Oh my gosh. Have you ever been in a fight before? There's not usually this much talking. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just really trying to impress Mr. Stark. Yes, yes. <laughs> I really need this to go right. <laughs> I really need this to go right. <laughs> you have a metal arm, dude? That's so awesome. I think you dropped something. 
And then, oh, that was perfect. When Winter Soldier throws like this big metal thing at him and he grabs it and sends it right back. I think he dropped this. Oh, man. And then when he gets to like fall out the window, he's like, ah! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he just doesn't stop talking. It's so awesome. <clears throat> and I don't, I don't want to jump the gun. I mean, we're segueing into this topic. But mm-hmm. when Ant-Man went giant, that was... Oh, man. Edge, I was on the edge of my seat going, are they really doing this? They're, do, they're doing... Oh, my gosh. Yep. He went giant. He went giant. Throw throw this truck at this. And he throws in, explodes on War Machine. He goes, oh, man, I thought that was a water I truck. I thought that was a water truck. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, this is segueing into the fight scene, which was our next topic. One mm-hmm. of the big moments in this movie was when the teams went head-to-head at the airport. And they fought each other. Yes. Team Stark is given 36 hours to bring in Team Cap. Team Cap is going for the airport so that they can go stop Zemo from in... unleashing the other five Winter Soldiers. Who are more powerful than who Bucky. Who are more powerful because they uh, were given some sort of super soldier serum that worked. Which is a rare thing in this world since the Steve Rogers serum was destroyed. Right, which you made the comment... It kind of looks like Kree blood, the way it looks on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And the fact they made no mention to it makes me think that might have been what it was. Maybe. Because they don't Cause explain it. No, they don't explain it. And there's not much around. But that's what... The only difference is in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they're the bad in humans right now are trying to use Kree blood to infect humans to make them inhuman to like to force that genetic right change so that they can then be turned into inhumans using the mist the terrorists um so it it reacted to those guys differently so i'm gonna lean towards it's not kree blood but it was interesting that it looked exactly like the kree right. blood from the show so take that as you as you want agreed so the fight scene was really cool. Um, man, it was cool. The Russos did a really good job. The only issue I had, we kind of discussed this a little bit before the podcast, was it kind of felt like as we were focusing on a couple people fighting, it felt like the rest of the battle was on pause. It didn't feel like when we transitioned from Cap fighting Spider-Man to Black Panther fighting Scarlet Witch that there had been anything going on during that time. Right. So, like, literally, it almost felt like... Well, it's more traditional of a fight scene, right? Yeah, it's more traditional of a fight scene, but that's not necessarily that's not a, necessarily a good thing. No. So, to me, it felt like uh, when you get a bunch of kids together and you're trying to, like, play pretend, mm-hmm. but everybody stops to watch, like, a couple of people like fighting right and then it's like okay now it's our turn to like battle and everybody like watches them that's almost what it felt like so spider-man and cap are going at it and everybody else is watching because it didn't feel like when we switched to two other people fighting right anything had happened while we were watching cap and spidey so that would be my one critique of the fight scene for them to work on four avengers please make it feel like something's happening in the background which you know again we 
we had kind of talked about this before the podcast, which we, we which we try so desperately not to do. <laughs> yeah, we try to we save hate, it all for the podcast. We hate repeating ourselves, and then when it comes to the moment, it's hard to like remember. Like, did we say this before or after? Like, right. obviously, I remember saying it, but in what context? Yeah, we've been spoiled by Joss. The one of the great things that Joss did was showing the ensemble battling, kind of like so fluidly flowing from mm-hmm. character to character, and kind of showing this battle scene from perspectives but the battle scene always moving forward and that momentum building so when we got to see this this ensemble battling and it be more of a traditional fight scene it did kind of make us go i mean i like what's going on but i feel like it doesn't have the appropriate pacing that we've been used to in the marvel ensembles when they fight yeah that's exactly the right word pacing yep don't russo brothers you're doing a great job reign of the russos don't press pause on your other characters while a couple of them are fighting we have to know that stuff is going on or it takes you out of the movie that's it took me out of the movie because i was it was like a bunch of scenes put together right which was awesome to watch but it i wasn't fully engrossed during that scene because of that like it was it was awesome don't get me wrong it was awesome right but I wasn't as fully engrossed as I could have been because the the transitions from one fight to another left me thinking. And I kind of like, it again, it kind of talks about is it the Russos just being the Russos or Russos doing a Cap film? It, and the stairwell scene where Cap and Bucky are fighting the German special forces, with what first thing came to my mind were the Bourne films, like the hand-to-hand combat and everything was just so like, I was like just so in your face and it was so up close and so gritty and realistic mm-hmm. that I almost wonder if they took the traditional approach to that fight scene because this is supposed to have a tone of a cap film. So it's supposed to be close to the chest. And applied it to and everyone. Applied it to everyone. It just didn't quite work. Right. And I'm thinking maybe that's what was going on. But again, very a lot of delightful moments. Obviously we have the Spider Man being highlighted, we have Black Panther fighting, and we have not only Ant Man going giant. But Ant-Man going inside Iron Man's suit was hilarious. Yeah. When he starts talking, Tony goes, is that another voice? He's like, oh, it's your conscious speaking. It's been a while since we've talked. Yes. <laughs> there were a lot of moments that made me giggle, and I just felt like a kid watching. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a great fight scene. It, it was. Just, they're just... We've been spoiled. We've been spoiled. By perfection. Yes. So we expect that now. Okay, let's move into Zemo as the villain. Uh, very... I'll let you. I'll let you talk a little bit, and then I'll just kind of finish it up because you're gonna. I'll rehash everything you say, okay. but I have a slightly different opinion sure. at the end. So, the most common thing that I've heard from people is this movie. This movie falls into the same trope that every Marvel movie has had, and that is a lackluster villain. To those people, I want to say I don't think that you. Um, I think you're putting a little bit. Maybe not. How do I say this? I think you were putting too much stake in who Zemo was supposed to be in that movie, but also at the same time, you did not get that character at all. Mm-hmm. For me, again, the movie's called Civil War, so that is the theme. At the end of the day, that movie is supposed to be about the battling conflicts of what Iron Man and Cap represent. Yeah. Now, to have that happen, you have to have... I'm not going to say plot device, because I think Zemo was more than that, but you had to have someone pushing the plot forward he was the puppeteer of this movie and every time daniel Bruhl was on screen playing zemo 
I was captivated. We got to see this very sinister, conniving, intelligent, precise villain kind of like picking up these pieces. And he uh, starts off by uh, framing Bucky in the beginning, which you and I had already put together by the trailer that that was going to be one of the driving forces was Mm -hmm. Cap trying to clear Bucky's name. Yeah. You have him tracking down the book to activate Bucky's Winter Soldier side. You have him infiltrating the... uh, I don't know where they were, but it was like the UN containment facility where he impersonated the doctor and activated Bucky. It was a CIA place, wasn't it? It was CIA? I guess it was CIA. Because Sharon Carter was there. Yeah. You have him infiltrating there. We learn that he... uh, is sokovia special forces we get to see we get to connect with him as a villain and see where he's coming from his family were, were murdered by the avengers uh, obviously age of ultron is a huge theme in this movie and the ramifications that happened um and i don't know he just so perfectly paid these heroes against each other to the point where when tony realized what he did was his his idea was wrong of bucky he went after Cap. But again, this is all under the puppeteering of Zemo. Mm-hmm. Zemo reveals to the world that that scientist was killed, which shows Tony that Cap was right, that Zemo was not the Doctor and Zemo was impersonating the Doctor to make him go after Cap to get both of those two in that bunker. And Zemo very poetically says, uh, Empire that is destroyed can rebuild itself but an empire that crumbles from within is gone forever so again his his whole purpose in this movie is to make these core avengers kill each other Mm -hmm. and how does he do that he gets them into this this bunker where he seals them in together and reveals to tony that bucky killed both his parents brutally and in cold blood cap knew the whole time kept it from tony and they go at it. It's no longer about the ideals of like what is right or wrong. It's Bucky killed my mom, and I'm going to kill him. And if you get in my way, so be it. And Cap saying, it's not Bucky who killed your mom. I know that's hard for you to wrap your head around. But Bucky is innocent. He was brainwashed. And I will defend him to the death. Mm-hmm. So be it yours. So I don't know. For me, Zemo played the role he was supposed to play. He was a, he was a very captivating villain. And they showed us things about his villain that since he didn't die, and he's the first Marvel villain not to die, I know that when he comes back, to expect great things. Yeah, and that's that's wherein lies my slightly differing opinion. Because I, I agree with everything you said. He was very captivating. Uh, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Um, he caused the Civil War. However... Had he died, I would have felt the same way I felt when the Mandarin twist happened in Iron Man 3. Okay. Because, not because he didn't serve his purpose, not because he didn't captivate me as a villain, but because he's not Zemo yet. Sure. He's not Zemo yet. The iconic Cap arch nemesis. So, because he survived... He's now set up to become that Zemo and be even more of a villain later. And the villain 
that he represents from the comics. So if he would have died, he wouldn't he wouldn't have done it for me. But because I think even after the movie, I leaned over and said, if he would have died, or because he lived, he was a good villain. <laughs> if he right. would have died, and I get that, I would have felt different. But my mind my mind keeps going, and tr- my my gears are turning on like where he's kept as a as a prisoner. Uh, General Ross is involved, like. If Zemo finds a way of getting out and finds out Abomination is there, like there's so many things that they can build Zemo to be, because Zemo's always been mm. a character. You need, to, you need to retract your previous statement. Abomination's still around. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. He's, He's in prison. I know, but you said Zemo's the only one to survive. Abomination survived. You're right. So, Zemo's the second Marvel villain to survive. You're right. Pardon me. Abomination is locked up somewhere. Most likely in the raft. But Zemo is always more famously leading various Marvel villains in a team. Mm-hmm. So again, he's, I, I he's think... A, he's a strategist, which they did capture that well in the movie. So his next big move could be, I need to grab Abomination, or maybe I can put together a little team. Right. Because that's what he does. Right. So, I liked him, but... Those are my views. Okay, let's go into our individual thoughts and get this thing wrapped up. For me, if I were to put a rating on it, I would probably say 8.5 out of 10. I love this movie. Um, I don't know if I walked out thinking it was the best Marvel film. I still think Winter Soldier holds that in my heart. Um, I think that this movie never at one point felt overcrowded. I felt like it was well-balanced. And I felt at the end of the day, it really felt like a cap film. I think tone is so important when I talk about that. I think because it was in the same tone as Winter Soldier, that alone kind of like showed the tunnel vision of like, this is a cap story despite all the characters. You obviously can't have a Civil War story and not have all the supporting characters. I think something else that I I like to think about is Avengers 2 ended with Cap leading this new team of Avengers and living on the compound. So to have another Cap movie, you have to pick up where that left off. So he's living at the compound with these Avengers, and they're his team. He no longer works for S.H.I.E.L.D., like which is normally a Cap story. It's just him leading this team. We have to see really emotional moments in his in his solo life, you know, like Peggy dying in that, that funeral moment. Um, I think those are really cool moments to have for his character and him becoming closer with Sharon. So I don't know. I, again, I think that this was a really well-done movie. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Introduced new characters, foreshadows, things to come. Uh, ends with the Avengers being divided. You have Tony's core team. You have Cap's secret Avengers in the dark. Cap not having a shield anymore. Maybe Black Panther will build him a new shield out of Vibranium and Wakanda. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. It was a really great event film. And a good way to end the Cap trilogy. Uh, if I had to give it a rating, I would give it an 8 out of 10. I also think that Winter Soldier is still the best Marvel movie so far. Uh, I'm not going to rehash anything you said because I would basically be repeating you. However, we do differ in one distinct do what? thing. What? what? Which doesn't happen very often. Um... I think that this was a really, really good Avengers movie. It wasn't enough of a cat movie for me. 
the reason I don't think it's as much of a cap movie is because in order for Civil War to work, you have to focus almost as much time on Iron Man's side of the story so that you have empathy for both sides. Like the whole the whole thing about the Civil War is which side are you on. So you have to understand both sides. And in order to do that, you have to take away from one of the sides, that being Cap. So I say all that. I don't know what I expected. I guess LaRusso is saying this is still very much from Cap's perspective. I didn't completely feel that. I know Corbin disagrees disagrees with me, but that's how I felt. Um, but it was a good movie. It was a good movie. I just wish it was wish there was a little more cap. Is it, and not to start an argument, but you said you know you have to tell the story from where it left off. Yeah, uh, you have to tell the story of him leading the Avengers. Not necessarily. Uh, I can pull an example from the comics when. Peter was living in Avenger Tower and he was still having Spider-Man adventures, you did get glimpses and cameos of other superheroes, but it was still Spider-Man focused stories. So, and I know it's it's a little bit different, but you can tell a Cap story with him being the leader of the Avengers without focusing so much on the Avengers. But again, this is a Civil War movie. You needed to do that. So, it's kind of a double-edged sword for me. Because I wanted a, a full-fledged Cap sequel. I don't feel like I got that. But Civil War was awesome. So, 8 out of 10. <laughs> Death stare. Smirk. And that, folks, ends our review of Marvel's Captain America Civil War. Next week, we open our doors to fellow Fire Team member and favorite Twitch streamer, not that one guy, a.k.a. Seth Cloakey. Prepare to giggle. This man's got so many noises in his repertoire <laughs> that it will just make you high as a cat. <laughs> our, our episode topic, you shout? Destiny. What does it mean for us and its future? Be sure to like us on Facebook and feel free to email us at cp2degree at gmail.com for topic ideas and general things you like off your chest. You are fans. Let us know how you are. Be sure to follow us at Twitter my name is Corbin Presson, P-R-E-S-S-O-N. You can follow my brother Clayton. At Clayton Presson, P-R-E-S-S-O-N. It's important to realize that it's P-R-E-S-S-O-N. Despite what your word devices and phones might say, it is not T. If you'd like to follow the collaborative mind of the Presson brothers on Twitter, that can be found at CP2Degree. Please be sure to follow us on Podbean and or subscribe on iTunes. And while you're at iTunes, we would love you to leave us a review let us know what you think of us and how we're doing and how we continue to grow if you don't like us doing something be sure to say that as well and as always for everything in the nerdosphere keep it right here at cp2 degree we'll see you next time